Um, so the intertestamental period, who, is, who knows something about that? Anybody? Uh, a few hands in the crowd. So basically that's a 400-year um, period of silence from God. This was in between the time of the last book in the Old Testament being written um, and then Jesus coming on the scene in the beginning of the New, New Testament, um, A.D., so this was 400 years where the prophets were not saying a whole lot. Uh, God was not saying a whole lot through his prophets. And it was also a time where uh, God's people, the Jews, were for a while they were first under Persian rule, and then they were under Greek rule. And then uh, in Luke, where we're going to be today, they're under Roman rule. But you can see in the culture there's, there's pieces of each one of these. Um, the temple... Um, the original temple has been desecrated, um, and now there's, a, there's another temple that has been built by a foreign king, by Herod, that they're using. The Jews were um, oppressed. Uh, they were intoxicated by foreign culture, and they, uh, there was a hopelessness. And so that was the time that, just to help you guys understand the feeling, uh, the mood of the audience when this book was taking place, um, there was a real sense of hopelessness. I know, I know Leon referred to, and I think oftentimes we, we, we think um, that there was all of these people just waiting expectantly for God to move. And don't get me wrong, there was a remnant. Uh, we're going to see some of those people today. But for the most part, to be honest, uh, the people that this book was um, directed to, uh, who Jesus originally uh, came for, had forgotten him. They had kind of gone about their own life, and they really were. They were starting to become obsessed with Greek and Roman culture, um, mono, uh, many gods, um, and, and, and straying from the one true God. That's the type of area uh, that we are entering into this morning. Uh, so Israel, Israel is probably at one of its lowest points in history. Um, so... Uh, so family, I just want to set the stage, set the tone a little bit as we enter into this text. And I'm going to start um, by just reading through a little bit of the story here. We're going to go through uh, Luke, and we're going to go chapter 1. So you can turn with me to Luke chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 5, and hopefully make it all the way to uh, verse 38 today. Um, I'll give you a second to get to that. So Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In that time, in the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Now, uh, if, if you're near, you've been coming to Macav for a while. If you're a Macaver, you know that we've been going through the book of Genesis, and we've kind of taken this uh, hiatus to do um, this, this Advent series um, to prepare ourselves for the coming of Christ. But we've been in the book of Genesis for quite some time. And does, does the beginning of the story sound anything like what we've read in Genesis in the past weeks? Does it remind you of anybody? Does it remind you of uh, 
Abram and Sarah. That's right. I always know which, which is to call him Abram or Abraham or Sarai or Sarah. You just call him Abraham and Sarah. Um, but, but I want you to see that there, um, there's going to be some similarities as we go through this text. There's going to be some, some, some phrases and some words that will allow you to say, whoa, wait a minute, that sounds a lot like Genesis. And I, I want to propose that that's, that was probably intentional on Luke's part as he wrote this book. Um, and we're going to talk more about that as we get into, uh, into this. It's not just nostalgia. Oh, it makes me think of the Old Testament cool. But no, but there's this, <laughs> there's this continuation of this relationship. This, these, God is continually um, relationally involved in, in his people's lives. And he's doing something here. This is part of a greater story. Um, and so real quick, so this, this time of Herod, uh, so this, there's a couple of different Herods. This was, some call him Herod the Great. I don't know how great he was, but he was, actually they had this saying about him, um, that he was the divine savior who brought peace to the world. Interesting. Um, <laughs> I think it's, yeah, it's interesting that the A, that he was in charge when Jesus came on the scene, who was the real divine peace, who brought peace into the world, um, but I just thought that that was interesting as I read that this, this week. Um, and so we also have this, this couple that are introduced, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they are descendants of Aaron. And now I know we haven't made it that far in Genesis yet, but we'll see that there was a whole division of Israel uh, that was the priesthood. And, and they, were, um, they were the Levites, but they were specifically kind of Aaron was the first priest uh, during the time of Moses. And so anybody that's in that lineage is, is kind of, I don't know how to explain this fully, almost on this, this different level when it comes to the Jews. They, had, um, they were the ones that could go into the temple. They were the ones that could give sacrifices on behalf of the people. And so while they were all God's people, they had this very specific and unique role. And so they were often, um, yeah, called holy, blameless. Um, they, had a, they had a different calling. Um, they were in ministry. They were leading the people. And so we have this, this godly couple that um, have come on the scene, and they were blameless, but they didn't have kids. This is, again, this is very, very big. We talked about this previously when we were you know, talking about Abram and Sarah. This was, this was kind of a disgrace, because to have kids um, in what you're doing is you are you're being creative like God is, and so you're, you're operating in a special way that, that God can operate, but you're also leading a lineage for your family. And so those things are considered a blessing from God, a gift from God, and they didn't have it. They, they, they were well along in years, and they had no children. And so we kind of get this image of this, this couple that were doing everything right, um, but hadn't seen God's hand in their life. That's kind of what we're left with here. Um, and again, I want, I want that to remind you of, of Abram and Sarah, because the author wants that to remind you also. Um, let's go to the next slide here. And, and, and again, just to remind you even more, um, look at this passage in Genesis 11.30. Now Sarah was, bur- was barren, she had no children. And again, we see the same um, type of language, Elizabeth being barren with no children. Um, again, I'm going to say that that wasn't just 
by chance because it was part of the story, but Luke was purposely bringing out these, these pieces um, and using similar vocabulary. So read on with me in chapter 1, verse 8. So once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as high priest, or I'm sorry, just priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the, the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Okay, so I'm going to explain a couple of things to you because we don't have um, the temple or we don't have, well, we have a different temple, but we don't have this temple and we don't have these priests leading us in worship anymore today. But what, especially around Zechariah's time, again, this is many, many generations past the original priest, uh, Aaron, and so there are many, many people that are in this category of, of priests um, in this line of Aaron. And so it actually... At this time, I read that there was about uh, there was so many people in a rotation that each person would do this sort of um, temple worship uh, for about two weeks out of the entire year. Um, so this is a pretty unique place. This isn't something that Zachariah did every day of his life. This was part of uh, his duty as a priest, but he only got to do it two weeks out of the year. Um, and this burning of incense happened twice. Um, a day. It happened in the morning and then it happened again uh, after the evening sacrifice. And so, um, and not everybody went in and burned the incense. And what I mean by going in, I don't have a map of the temple, but there was, um, there was a sanctuary in the temple that again, priests could go into, but the common person could not go into. Um, it was not the most um, important place in the temple, but it was just next to it. So the Holy of Holies, where God himself dwelled, was just outside of this, um, this room, which was where the incense was, were burned. Um, and I find it, it, find it interesting that it said they, they cast lots <laughs> to, uh, to see who was going to go in and burn the incense. And they did that because in this worship service, there'd be about five different priests, but only one went in. Uh, so they each had a different role in this part of the service. But only one came in, to actually burn the incense. And I, I usually think of casting lots and more of a, a non-Christian, you know, just kind of um, gambling in a sense. Um, but, but actually the priests did this um, to see who God wanted to go in. And so they, they trusted that God, I don't know, directed the dice as they were thrown. <laughs> but, but, they, but they had faith when they did this to see who... Was uh, who was the chosen one to go in and do this part of this, the ceremony? And it was Zechariah. And again, uh, I just want to underscore God's uh, sovereignty through this, uh, because look what's about to happen as we get into the story more. God wanted Zechariah in there because He wanted to speak to him specifically. Um, so just all these events are set in such a way that it shows God's leading. Um, okay. Okay, so we're going to move on here to 11 through 17. Um, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you 
are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will turn will be um, will he turn back uh, to the Lord, their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearers, um, the hearts of the fathers, to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of their of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Okay, so a lot of text there. Um, we have a pretty amazing example of, of God coming down to a person um, through one of his angels, and we find out later that this is the angel Gabriel, um, who is a, a servant of, of God Most High, an angel that appears many times throughout the Bible to give um, decrees or decisions by God. Um, and so it's interesting that he starts by saying, uh, yeah, your prayers have been answered. Um, so it's evident that they've been praying for a child for a long time, um, but they had no idea <laughs> the fullness of how God would use those prayers. I just thought that was interesting because what they might have been praying for more selfishly, we just want a child. Um, God has way different plans in store. Yes, he will bless them with a child, but but this again, this is a child with a specific role, a specific um, a purpose in God's eternal story, which we're going to go on to see more of. And we even see a foretelling of that this, that this child will be, yeah, he will be very special because he will be, um, uh, like in this specific, he's already going to be a priest because he's born through this lineage, but now he's going to be a specific, even smaller line of priests, um, which if you look into the Old Testament, you see Samson was one, um, but um, a Nazarite who had to stay away from alcohol um, and those things, and that he was set apart from God. Even from the, the womb, he was to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be led by God. Um, and, um, yeah, and so we're, we're excited to see what kind of person, what kind of person he's actually going to be. But can you imagine? You, you are being um, informed of what God is sovereignly decreeing and and what do, you, what do you think his response is going to be? Let's see. Uh, well, I'm sorry. Before we get to what his response was, I want to also point out, as we continue to look to Genesis and to Luke, um, in Genesis 15:1, the Lord uh, to Abraham, do not be afraid, Abram. And again, we see it in Luke. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. And, so, and this is also spoken to Mary in a couple of verses coming up ahead. Um, but again, I just want to point out that similar language, um, but also... Uh, let it take our minds to um, what God started in Genesis. Yeah, go ahead. Uh huh. Okay, yeah, that's a good question. So Carrie's saying, is it is it a fear out of the presence of being here with, with God through an angel, or is it the fear of all that what lies ahead? And I think it's probably more the first. Um, uh, again, you see these these kind of episodes throughout, and a couple of times through Scripture, and, and it's it's usually this awe of, 
wait a minute, I was in a room by myself, and all of a sudden, this guy just appeared. And so he, he would be scared, like, whoa, wait, wait a minute, where'd you come from? Um, so more of that type of fear, but good question. And so, so this is his response. Zechariah uh, asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Now, when I first read that, I thought, okay, he's just asking a simple question. But look, look at the response of the angel. Then the angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until this day, the, the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the proper time. Whew. That's a... Um, and in unbelief that is taken very seriously by this angel. And so we have, um, have Zechariah here thinking, I'm old. You really think I'm going to have a child? It's, it's, it's very similar again to um, Sarah when she laughed when she heard that she was going to be pregnant in Genesis. He's almost doing the same thing, like, whoa, whoa wait a minute. We're pretty old. We're up there in age. But then he went on to say, can I get a sign? Can you, can you, are you sure this is going to happen? <laughs> um, and that was, his, that was his lack of belief, that God is faithful, that God is going to do um, what he said he was going to do. And so um, it's interesting because what happens is he, he actually is given a sign. He's made speechless. <laughs> and so God actually gave him a sign, like, this is real. Boom, you can't talk anymore. <laughs> um, but as you see in the story going on, he, I think God, um, his plan was that it would not only be a sign to Zechariah, but it would be a sign to everybody um, because it's going to become very evident when he comes out of this room where he's burning incense and everybody's going to expect him to continue on with the outdoor service where you give a benediction and he can't say anything. Um, so we're going to see that in just a minute. Um, but I do want to just take a moment, family, um, to talk about uh, this doubt. Um, uh, I think I want to challenge us um, that, yes, oftentimes when we have decisions that we are making, uh, we, we do kind of in our flesh say, God, show me a sign that this is the right decision to make or um, show me what to do in this um, scenario. Uh, I mean, a couple of things that I was thinking of. God, um, how can I be sure that you want me in Detroit? How can I be sure that you want me in this marriage? Some of you might be asking. How can I be sure uh, that you uh, uh, want me to have this, this boyfriend or this girlfriend? How can I be sure that you want me to be discipled? How can I be sure uh, which house you want me to buy? Um, just like Zachariah, we need to take God at his word. Um, this is making decisions um, well, he didn't take God at his word, I'm sorry. Um, but like Zechariah should have done, <laughs> uh, to take God at his word, making decisions by faith. This shows our trust. Um, God, how can you work um, when I naively trust? But I'm telling you, family, there is, uh, this is the essence of what he's asking us to do on a daily basis. He's asking us to say, Read my word. This is, this is what I've said. Um, and make decisions by faith. 
uh, is this not a struggle in our lives? Um, even in this week, as I was preparing for the sermon, I constantly felt like I was struggling with doubts. Um, not, not about my salvation, but doubts about how to say this or what to focus on. Um, and it is, to be honest, um, doubts are a pretty common part of our life in the flesh. Uh, but God has designed that we, would, uh, that we would step out in faith and trust him. And so I just wanted to not only bring that up and, and, and say, look at Zechariah as a, as, a, as a person that did doubt. I mean, here you have an angel standing right before you, uh, and you still um, doubt his words. Um, family, we have God's word, which he has spoken to us um, to read and to memorize and to, uh, to focus on in our lives. Um, let us be men and women that, that truly take that seriously and act on what God says um, and not doubt. So verse 21, Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And so here we have, family, the continuation of what happens outside of the temple. Um, As I alluded to earlier, uh, what should have happened is he should have come outside and read uh, a passage of scripture, Numbers 6, 24 through 26, as a, as a benediction. And when he came outside and could not do that, they knew right away um, that he had seen something, that he had seen um, a sign from God, that he had seen um, God in person. And so they were all overwhelmed by that, but they didn't know what happened. <laughs> so you have a whole group of people knowing that something happened, but he could not tell them. And, uh, and we'll, we'll find out in a little bit. They don't even know that this couple is pregnant for quite a while. Um, but then look at Elizabeth's response. So she obviously, um, after his time of worship is complete, he goes home. Uh, obviously they have sex because she's pregnant. Um, and after, after this, she says, look what the Lord has done for me. Um, and then also, in these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Family, does this sound similar to any other passages that we might have been through recently in Genesis? Um, I mean, it sounds like Sarah, but I'm also thinking uh, Rachel. It sounds very similar to what Rachel said as we've been going through the battle of uh, Jacob with his, his many wives and having kids. Um, she had her child finally at the end, but, but she said the same thing, I think. Uh, He's taken away my disgrace. Um, he's given me a son. Um, um, but I, I want us to see, though, that Elizabeth models faith. She doesn't just, um, uh, yeah, she doesn't just question God or say, "How could this be?" <laughs> well, she becomes pregnant, and then she lives that out. Um, and we don't know why she's, she remains in seclusion for five months. Um, as much as I studied that, I could not um, find out why, in God's sovereignty, uh, she didn't tell others. And then in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, 38, this will be the last section of scripture that we're going to uh, focus on. 
Um, so the first narrative is between Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, and now we jump to a narrative with an angel, same one, Gabriel, uh, coming to Mary. And we're going to read this, but keep in mind a couple of things. This is, um, this is in a far different location, A, than the, the previous uh, episode. This is in a small town in the middle of nowhere, backcountry, Nazareth. Uh, the previous interaction happened in Jerusalem at the temple, uh, which is more where you would expect that to happen if you could expect God to show. Um, so let me read this. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you um, have said. Then the angel left her. So again, I mentioned that there's some, some, some not, there's some similarities, but then there's also some contrasts. Uh, the similarities really clearly are we have an angel that comes to announce that you're going to have a baby. <laughs> um, the dissimilarities are one uh, is in this royal, if you will, this, this line of Aaron, um, and the other, Mary, um, she's, she's of Jewish descent, but she is not um, in this line, nor let alone the line of David. Um, and so to find her in this position, one has to ask, why? Why would, why would God choose Mary? Um, but we also see, uh, we see the same sort of fear. Um, to answer your question again, Kara, we see the same kind of fear as this angel of God comes to her. Um, we see in her response, we see a similar question to Zechariah, because she does say, uh, you know, she has a question anyway, so how can this be? I'm, I'm a virgin, how can I have a baby? Um, but it, yet it, it lacks the, the doubt that Zechariah has. And to be honest with you, I mean, just from reading the sentences, I don't, I don't fully see it, but God is sovereign, and he was there, and he knew. <laughs> when Zechariah said the question, he doubted. When Mary said the question, she must have been more just like, really, how's that going to happen? <laughs> um, but it wasn't, it wasn't a, a doubt in the same fashion because the angel did not say that. Um, but he makes it very clear. Well, actually, the, the, the baby that you're going to have is going to be um, a descendant of God himself, will be a son of God. And again, this is a, this is a language Luke uses here in this book that is very much like the book of Daniel, which talks a lot about this this Son of God motif, that there will be one who comes um, 
the Messiah who will be the Son of God. And so the readers are hopefully perking up at this point. Um, if you're in the first century reading this book, wait a minute, this is, uh, this is the Son of God? But coming through a peasant girl, so to speak, and again, I mean, she, most people think that she was probably 13 years old at this point, you know, just, just a girl, um, not in a royal priestly family, um, not in a family of great wealth. Uh, I hope that encourages you this morning, family, to see, um, yes, God, God chooses and uses who he sees fit for his tasks. Uh, there is no special pedigree um, that one has to have to be used by God, uh, to be in relationship with God, um, but, but he in his sovereign sovereignty um, uses uh, who he chooses. Um, and as we will see, his tasks and his plans will always come to pass. Um, but I, uh, I didn't talk much about the naming um, previously, but the angel also told Zechariah that the name will be John, which is amazing in, in itself. We'll find out later. We're not going to get to that part of the passage uh, today, but, um, but that's not a family name. That's not a name that they would have normally chosen. Um, uh, but it means uh, God is gracious. Um, and we see very clearly that God is gracious to his people through John as a person as he calls them to repentance. Um, remember, this is a group of people that are far from God, um, that have set up their own religious um, ceremonies, almost to some degree left God out with the Pharisees and the Sadducees at this time period. And Jesus, uh, the name simply means Yahweh saves. Yahweh is the, is the true Hebrew word, uh, name of God. Um, and so this idea that even in the, the naming of these two boys, um, soon to be men, uh, they have much meaning that God shows in advance. Um, so yeah, some terms there just to continue to, to, to point out the son of God, um, father David over the house of Jacob forever. This is very much of a, a fulfillment language. Um, we've been seeing in the book of Genesis hints that God will, um, make Abraham's descendants as numerous as the stars of this, uh, of the sky, um, that he will give them a land, that he will, um, you know, uh, give them a people. Um, and now in the book of Luke, we're starting to see that coming into fulfillment through this, this, this baby that will be born of a virgin. Um, and so all part of God's mysterious but amazing plan. Um, and so her response, again, is a response of faith. And so, family, just to, to revisit, again, this, this similar language that we've seen throughout um, we see the last one here added to the list, uh, an everlasting covenant. Um, and there's also this terminology, ancestors of a multitude of nations, kings shall come from you. That was all Genesis language, Genesis 17, um, speaking to Abraham. And now we have, um, he has shown the mercy promised to your ancestors and remembered his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our ancestor, Abraham. Um, and that's actually, that'll be a couple of verses ahead in verse 72 and verse 73. Um, oh, I hear a little cry back there. But, uh, but again, family, 
Luke does this, this similar language, uh, I really think, to, to dem- demonstrate that, that Jesus is the fulfillment um, of these expectations of Israel. And so he's making a very clear statement by doing this. And uh, there, are, there are many more examples of this than just the three that I've chosen here. Um, but I do think that, that yeah, that, that the story is coming to... Um, uh, to a close, not to a close, but to close with the final stage of people pre-Christ um, and that Christ is coming on the scene to remove sin. And so family, what do we learn from this? I want to spend some time here just thinking uh, as we've gone through this, this scripture. Here, help, help me out. There we go. Um, as we are talking about this, this topic of expectation, as we are talking about this idea of um, how do we prepare for Christ's coming um, and having, uh, you know, I compared it to the likeness of having children, um, the expectation that one would see. Um, but as we, as we think here, do you identify yourself more with Zechariah or with Mary? Do you find yourself questioning um, what God has said or accepting it by faith? Um, do you identify uh, with kind of going through, like Zechariah, going through um, the religious uh, means of sometimes I would say moralism, doing the right thing and, and counting in a lot of ways in your own righteousness? Um, or do you like Mary, uh, you know, just a, a young child and say, I believe God. Are you living out of expectation um, or comfortable with the here and the now? As I was studying this week, I was really convicted by uh, this personally, that, um, that it is so easy in our world, in our society, uh, to seek comfort, to seek um, joy in secular things. Uh, again, I'm not, I'm not up here saying that, that you can't have a hobby, that you can't have any joy outside of the church. Um, no, I'm not saying that at all. Uh, but is there balance in your life? Um, as you enjoy beautiful scenery around you, as you enjoy, if you're a musician, instruments, as you enjoy, if you're a car, uh, mechanic, cars, there are many... Uh, I can go around this room, and I know almost everyone in this room to some degree, and, and know the things that we enjoy doing, but, but is it balanced with the expectation of what Christ will do when he comes back again. Are our lives pointed in such a way uh, that, we, uh, that we think, that we meditate, that we, that we wait for his return, or have we grown uncomfortable and are no longer waiting for his return? Um, I think it's a question that this text has to, has to bring us to asking. Um, now, family, uh, don't... Hang your head in shame if you are experiencing some conviction there. Uh, we are in this together, and, and, and even more so, we have Christ as our sacrifice who redeems us from sin. Um, but maybe ask the Lord, Lord, is there specific sin in my heart that, I've, that I have chosen something over you? Um, and the beauty is that we can confess that sin and receive his grace uh, and continue to move forward um, with expectation.
of his coming. Do you have an expectation that God will use you to transform this community? I think this is, a, this is an interesting um, thought. Some of you might be visiting not from this community, but, but one thing that we uh, at Mac Ave are trusting the Lord for is that he would use uh, each and every one of us in this room uh, to transform this community, um, both spiritually and physically. Uh, are we intentionally reaching out to our neighbors with the love of Christ? and sharing the gospel. Do you, do you believe that God can use you to do that? I think that's something that, uh, do we have an expectation that he's doing that in and through us, that we're part of this greater story? Um, and, and family, I know it's hard to, to sometimes step away from a, a text like this and, and see it transpiring today in our lives, but... Uh, but as we continue to go through books of the Bible together, um, I want us as, as believers in Christ to say, man, just because there's not a book written about our current modern day that's in the Bible, we are still a part of the story of God by faith in Christ. And, and me going down and knocking on my neighbor's door uh, or having a Bible study with my neighbor or shoveling my neighbor's snow uh, with, with the attempts, with the goal of pointing them to Christ, um, I'm a character in God's story by his grace that he chose me um, to do this. Uh, and, and I know the story. <laughs> I know what will happen. I know the end. Um, and I know uh, that my Savior was born and came into this world and empowers me to do this. God's purposes and plan will come to pass, family. And, and again, we, I know this has been said before, Macav, this is not new, but God doesn't have to use you. He can use whoever he wants. <laughs> um, but how, how much greater is it that we respond and say, God, use me. I want to be used of God in this community. I want to be used of God uh, to share the best news that ever happened um, to share his love, to share his, his compassion, to share his mercy uh, with the world around me uh, that might not know it and might not have experienced it. Um, we are not in control of this. God is. So family, in this, I pray that we all have a sense of, at MacAv, that we have a sense of mystery and expectation, and not just this Advent season, um, for as long as the Lord has us doing ministry here, um, but specifically this, this Christmas, that we would really ask the Lord, Lord, give me a sense of um, a mystery and expectation about what you want to do in and through me in this community. And may I enjoy uh, this Christmas season and may it not be a burden uh, as, I, as I go through, to some degree, um, uh, the busyness of preparing for family and making sure that my family is on board and understands Christmas. Um, enjoy it, family. God uses people in his magnificent story. Um, be on journey. As we journey together, family, uh, remember um, the sense of expectation uh, of children being bored this, this holiday season, but specifically 
of these two um, men used of God, John, and then even more so, Jesus, the Son of God. For Quan. Yeah. Another angelic encounter that Luke doesn't include, and that is the one with the angel and Joseph, as you see in the Gospel of Matthew. So, mm. can you talk about why Luke may have left that out? Hmm. Um, is there something he's trying to communicate by leaving that out? Hmm. So you're talking about. Uh, so, you, so Fraquan is asking, what about another um, instance where an angel came, and we know about through. Um, through the book of Matthew, you said, um, where the angel comes to Joseph and affirms him that, that yeah, you are to marry um, this woman, uh, even though she's pregnant. <laughs> um, and he's asking specifically, why, w- why did Luke leave that out? Um, why isn't that a part of this, this particular story? Um, and that's a great question, bro. <laughs> I, don't, I don't fully um, know um, why he left that out. Why that wasn't a part? I know that's a that's a huge um, topic in theology, is uh, looking at the the gospels and seeing why some of them have the same events and why the synoptics and why some of them don't. Um, um, I mean, did you have a thought? I mean, you've been thinking about this. Did you have a, a thought as to why Joseph isn't mentioned as in your, uh, having a So that's, uh, that's a great reminder. Thank you, E. Um, and to, to basically, if you couldn't hear, um, Eric is just reminding that the focus of uh, the Gospels is one thing that we do know, and we do know that the book of Luke is geared more towards a, a Gentile audience, where the book of Matthew is geared more towards a, a Jewish audience. And so where it's important to share um, this role of Joseph being through the line of David, um, so the Jews would hear the gospel even more clearly. Maybe that's why Matthew chose to put that piece of the story in where Luke didn't as much because he was writing more to to Gentiles that wouldn't be as concerned about the Davidic line. It's good. It's good. Ken? In other words, Luke is more of a, you're saying, a Gentile picture, more of a... Yeah, non-Jews. Yeah, I mean, really, it comes down to, like... uh, you know, audience, you know, each one of the books of the Bible, uh, specifically um, uh, the epistles, 
um, which, well, Luke isn't an epistle, but it's written to somebody specifically. It's written to a group of people. Uh, and we always have to ask ourselves, well, who is the audience? Who received this letter? Um, and what would they have been thinking? And what would they have needed to know? Um, and so, yeah, so basically it's uh, the non-Jews, um, who, who, who Luke was primarily writing to himself. Good questions, fam. It's hard to see. I can't even see when you raise your hand because these lights are in my, my face. So um, if anybody else is raising your hand, I don't see you. Sorry. Um, but family, I do want to end by um, asking the, the band to come back down. Um, we're going to, uh, I'll give a benediction in a little while, but right now this is our time of, of tithe and we're going to.